Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. No, it's not, good. it's not that intro, it's just that's not the energy you need. But here's the thing, Ben. That is the intro. Welcome to the episode. We're in it. Mm. Snuck tiger? Yeah, I snuck you in the side door. Like, you thought I was going to come in through the front door of the intro, usual. Um, instead, I, I, I kind of like, I skirted the bouncer. Mm. I found the busboy who was like smoking a cigarette outside the trash can in the back where he propped it up with a shoe, the door, and that you're not supposed to, for this very reason. Mm. Because now we snuck in. We really? came in through the side door and welcome to the podcast. Mm. I don't know what to do with that eye of the tiger energy though, because you brought it in up here and we got to keep it up here. And no, 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 no. You start hard, bring all your energy at the start in the okay. beginning, and then we slowly fade over time until we just end on a whimper. Okay, great. Yeah, that's that works for me because we're going to be <laughs> talking about something that's a little bit less than inspiring as we get deeper on these on this episode as we talk about these it's going to be sadder and sadder it's going to be like take a shot yep <laughs> get sadder yeah i'm gonna be an eeyore by the no, end it's gonna be a good episode um, i don't know about good but it's gonna be an episode hopefully insightful yeah it might if you're doing these things you won't feel good about yourself no no we'll something I, I do want to share this though because i do feel good about this this is completely unrelated to multifamily investing and for those listening this is um a podcast about real estate where we try and spend as much time as possible not talking about real estate. So recently in the last week, I want to share something and you might find this interesting. Have I shown you this on my phone yet? This, this thing on my phone is this app. Do you see this? Okay. Okay. You have words, utility predictive. So yeah. So the new, this app I downloaded, it creates a new homepage on your phone and it makes your phone kind of stupid. It like makes the app small, it grayscales everything, it adds words everywhere. So it's actually really kind of cumbersome to use and to find things. So it makes your phone worse. It makes your phone worse. Got it. Um, <laughs> but in the process, so what it's, tr- it's trying to do is like break the addiction cycle of like always pulling up in your phone and quickly clicking on things because everything's designed to be so clickable and mm-hmm. suck you in, right? Like there's brilliant people doing this to us. And so I downloaded this app. And sure enough, like my my usage time on my phone has like plummeted because my phone's kind of hard to use now, and it's really boring. <laughs> so hey, just get a just get a flip phone. I mean, if you really want to double down on that, but I still want to have the smart features, like if I need them. But I, you need to be intentional about wanting to use yeah. them. Like you you have to kind of work to get to the, the the addiction stuff. I don't have that as an option to me because I have an Apple product and I can't download those types of third party apps that modify things really what does it feel like to pretty much be a citizen of like uh, a dictatorship expensive 
Yeah, that feels right. Yeah, it's do expensive. You, do you feel dirty ever? You just kind of reconciled it. it? I've, been, I've been I've been in this ecosystem for since two thousand nine, probably. Uh, so you've been in so you're so deep just, now. It's it's what I know. It's the People's yeah. Republic of Apple. It is what it is. It's a great product. <laughs> Spoken <laughs> like a true Kool Aid drinker. <laughs> All right. So, bad investing advice of the week. Here's my take on it. Don't um, buy Apple because <laughs> uh, you're going to be sucked in forever. Isn't that like good advice from your perspective, though? So, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do buy Apple. There it is. I don't know how to do the bad investing advice. I just you gotta invert to it on the front end and yeah, then flip it. Invert. Always invert, invert and then flip. Do you remember that? That's um, that's a phrase that Charlie Munger likes to say all the time when he's talking about. Mental models, one of his favorite mental models is invert, always invert. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. It's funny, that I've never seen Munger do a handstand. Oh, never. That's true. Never seen an inversion out of that man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good way to look at things. Like, you've used the example a lot. You know, like if you're trying to figure out how to like have a good marriage or, or whatever, you know, a good question to ask is like, what would I do to have a really horrible marriage and then do all the opposite things to have a great one? Easy. Right? It's a good little mental exercise. That's a good way of looking at it. It's completely unrelated to my bad Vessi tip of the week. Which is what? Which is sit in cash and wait. Because. <laughs> I just imagined you in a pile of cash. Yeah. I'm like a Scrooge McDuck, like swimming in my pool of gold coins right now. Because interest rates are high, stocks are down. We're either entering or are already in a recession. Everything's horrible. Uh, sit in cash and wait. And the reason I'm bringing this one up is because... I've heard this this concern echoed uh, from investors for you know the better part of the last year, which is like, yeah, you know, um, we're uncertain about the economy at the moment, so we're just going to kind of wait and see what happens, right? This is a very common feeling that people have when we enter this type of of uh, section of, of of the market cycle. But in reality, this is probably the best time to be allocating resources when people are concerned, when people are worried, when things are down, when things are rocky. That is when the greats are allocating capital and actually acquiring things. And when things are going amazing and you're trying to dump more money into Dogecoin or whatever, that's realistically when you need to be selling. So I guess, tying it back to the whole inversion thing, most people out there need to be inverting how they are thinking and how they are behaving based on market cycles, because most people are doing things the complete opposite way that they ought to be doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a video recently where I talked about how unknowingly and unintentionally a lot of the wealth that I've, I've generated in my life came as a result of things that I did um, coming out of the last recession in 2011, 2012. And a lot of that was the fact that I graduated college in like 2006 or seven. So that's like young and dumb not burned at all by the recession, like the financial crisis did not hit my life at all. And so by the time that I started taking money seriously and started playing the game, like I wasn't burned or gun shy. And so like nothing held me back from jumping in like full bore and being like, yeah, let's do this thing. Not knowing that we're going to be on like a 15 year, like 12 year run of of a bull market. And that really helped me in a lot of ways, because I think people who did get burned were still gun shy and not getting back into the market in 2011 and 12 when there was a, there was actually a lot of opportunity to be had. Yeah, I think generally doing like the opposite of what the average person does with respect to managing money and in a you know the macroeconomic uh, environment, generally speaking, people ought to be doing the opposite of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Their natural inclinations are probably the inverse of what is most financially prudent. 
So what are your thoughts on Meta? This is a timely conversation because over the last week, Meta has just taken a, a, a dump. A dump. They, I've been paying very little attention. Uh, it's kind of fascinating to I me. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. I've heard people just shitting on it. Um, yeah. Other than that, I, I have really no insight into what the hell is, they're doing over there. Um, the feedback I've been hearing from people who seem to be paying attention is this is just a product of... Uh, you know, the, all the money that's been available and like the inefficient use of resources. And it's just kind of like, this is not productive to anybody. Like it's just a bunch of resources dumped into this thing that kind of sucks. But again, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't really speak on it. Yeah. It's, I find it really interesting because this, this in my mind is a little bit of like the irrationality of markets. It feels a little bit like that. And I know there's really smart people on both sides of the aisle that have opinions on it. And from, from a high level, like where we're at right now, the stock price on Meta is like equal to where it was in 2015. So like seven years of growth just kind of like evaporated. And it's interesting because there are like these underlying questions about the business fundamentals, what's happening in terms of like their missed quarterly earnings. Zuck's going real, real hard into Oculus and the metaverse and all that stuff. And there being a lot of people saying like, this is not the way. But the other side of it is it's really hard to bet against a company like Facebook with their size, their resources, and the vision that Zuck's been right, right? Like he he, he built this thing once that He's been nobody right else really believed. Money was free. Well, now money's not free, and you got to actually be efficient. That's I think that's the, the yeah. But I mean, right in the problem. sense of like he started Facebook in mid late two thousands, right in the last recession coming out of it. Not a lot of money, but he was he right about like. It. But he was right about where consumer behavior was going. Yeah. Right. And so, my sense is like okay, it goes back to the Adam Newman question that we had on a, a previous podcast where we talked about when do you not bet on the operator? Like if the operator has a past track record of success. Yeah, yeah, you could say like money's been Carol's free for Facebook. Gone, though, so what's that? Carol's gone. Who's Carol? Sandberg. Who's oh? So I mean, I mean Zucks. So who's the real like But like she was the one that like made the thing good. Uh, she's not there anymore. So. That's fair. I mean, that's operator has changed. That's a fair. That's a fair rebuttal. So I don't know. I look at it. I'm just like I don't know. Like. I, it, I obviously don't know the situation as well as um, others do, but it's a fascinating mm -hmm. case study that I think in 10 years we're going to look back and 50% of people are going to be like, I was so right. And 50% are going to look back and be like, I was so wrong. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Elon officially took over uh, Twitter this week. I did. So I did. I'd be really curious to see what he does with that thing Dude. versus what Zuck's doing in, in, in his sphere, because I feel like I'll tell you what he did. What I what I've been hearing people are anticipating based on just like literally no data, just like the entity that he used to acquire the thing. People are kind of assuming that he's going to take like um, uh, like a WeChat uh, approach with it and take Twitter to something that's a little bit more like like WeChat as opposed to just mm. Twitter. And I mean, that'd be pretty an interesting thing. I mean, WeChat is what one of the largest social networks. I, I don't even consider it a social network. It's it's weird it's to like me. Like everything, it's just texting. It's it's very confusing to me. But um, but I'll tell you what Elon did. So Elon, in his first day in office, he had a very big busy day. He fired the CEO, a bunch of VPs. He like just cleared house, and then this man abuses his newfound powers and controlling Twitter to slide into my DMs, and mm. I was like, dude. I don't follow you. You don't follow me. We're not friends. Like, stop abusing, your, stop abusing your powers. I follow here. like five people, and he's one of them. 
Yeah, he's spamming me, spamming me now. What is he trying to get you to do? He's got this new venture to to go to Mars. It's crazy. I don't know. He's like, hey, I'm looking for some funding. I don't huh. know. He wants me to raise some sounds capital. Like a, sounds like a scam. Sounds not legit. <laughs> <laughs> so the first day in office, he just starts raising capital through DMs. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's his, I love his game plan the whole time. I love Musk. No, do you, do you know Jason Calcanis? Yeah. Okay. So Jason Calcanis, for the listeners who don't know, he's um, an angel investor, very brilliant guy. We did one of his books, right? We did Angel. Yeah, Angel is one of his books. He's got a podcast called All In. He's got. Do another you watch one called... that now? Because I was talking about that a couple months ago. You're like, I've never. I've never that. listened to it still, but I listened to his other one, which is oh. This Week in Startups, and I've his never Angel. To that one. Yeah, I hear All In is very good though. Um, it's great. But Jason, you know all those text messages from Elon and Twitter and everything that that came out in the the litigation over the last month. Mm-hmm. So you can go read it; it's really fascinating. And Jason Calcanis is in there, and Elon's like, "Hey, stop!" Like, because Jason started raising a syndicate to fund like the takeover, and Jason was like bringing the power to the people and getting them involved in this takeover because he like buys into the vision of Elon. And Elon's like, "Stop! You're making me look desperate." <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Jason's like. Jason's a cool dude, but he's kind of sycophantic in that yeah. he's like, oh, no, bro, I didn't mean it like that. I'm so sorry. Like, people are behind you. We believe in the cause. Like, just trying to help. Sorry, I won't step in. Oh, it's just like, man, who's the alpha in this room? Oh, man. I like I like Musk. He's, he's funny like, and awkward, but I, I like him. I like watching brilliant, crazy people do brilliant, crazy things. So. And he just gives, like, no Fs, I feel like. No, nope, he's just, giving me no Fs. Just, well, actually slid into my DMs. He's trying. All right, let's segue. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about six reasons why a real estate investor is likely to go broke. Number one, you spent all your money and bought Twitter. What's your number two? (laughs) (laughs) Can we get a real number one? What do you got? Okay, number one is uh, insufficient. $44 billion? Good Lord. Who? I don't know. Let's just talk about how much you spent on Twitter. It's a a lot. A lot of money. that might be a good, if you, you know, anyway, um, insufficient <laughs> cash flow, I think is probably one of the top reasons a real estate investor is likely to go broke. They get into an asset that is either very thin on cash flow or non-existent cash flow. It could be a development deal. It could be a heavy reno. It could be something like that. And they think that they're going to be able to reposition this within a certain period of time, maybe get new debt on there and then get new people and it's going to start cash flowing and it's going to be all fine. And so they go into the deal thinking it's okay. I'll bleed for a bit. I can, I can afford to bleed for six months and I'll just kind of come out of pocket. It'll be fine. And then something happens, plan doesn't go to, to, to plan. And suddenly that little bit of bleeding turns into a whole lot of bleeding. Oof, and now you have a money pit that you can't really get away from. You have no solution and it just slowly sucks you down. And so you have no option, but just to um, curl up in a ball and cry. So how do you fix that? You buy you assets. No cash flow deal. Well, what do you, what do you do to turn that? Bad boy around. Man, that's a good question. So I think it's not to say that like buying a deal that has no cash flow or low cash flow is like dubious because it's just different risk profiles, right? Yeah. You know, it's a different business model. Just recognize, I think, um, if you're going in, it's about being really, really well capitalized Mm -hmm. and and, and like being prepared for winter. But our preference is just to go into assets that are cash flowing. Yeah. Like look for cash flow from day one. And that's that's because we're A, lazy, scaredy cats and... um, to be, um, don't, don't want to lose any sleep at night. So we hate losing money and <laughs> sleep. I like money and sleep and I don't want to lose either. And I think a lot of people do kind of look at like a deal and say, okay, I can, I can overpay for this deal because it's a great deal. And yeah, maybe that means because the, 
the debt surface is so high because the purchase price is inflated that, yeah, year one is, is kind of light on cash flow, but I'm going to get those rents up, right? And, and their whole business model is predicated on making some, some leaps and bounds in the income. And like, what if that doesn't happen? Right? What if your, your you know, cash flow break even on a good day for more than a year? What if it's two years? You know, what if you bought something mid-2019, 2020 happened, and all of a sudden your few months of, of light cash flow turns into a year and a half? right? It's risky. And I have to agree. That's probably one of the major reasons that people go broke Mm -hmm. in this biz. My number one, or just the first thing on my list is, uh, they don't have a team. They're new and they pick up a property and they think, okay, I'll just figure it out once I own the thing. Uh, but they don't have the team in place to do all the things The all those things being, uh, the management, the leasing, the lender, the insurance agent, if they don't have all these rock stars, they're probably going to overpay for everything, killing the cash flow and probably killing the deal too. So my uh, first thing on my list is they don't have the team in place needed to actually execute on the deal. I can get behind that. Um, my number two is litigation. Maybe you cut some corners. Maybe you didn't get the right insurance. Maybe... Um, you did something improper. You didn't follow the law to the letter. And now you got a tenant suing you. Now you got an investor suing you. Now you got the city suing you. You, you lose your building because they sued the pants off of you. Because not it is you cannot go to court and use the defense that I did not know <laughs> as, a, as, a, uh, as a good defense. Yeah, I mean, you can use it, but it's not going to protect you. Mm-hmm. So I'd say litigation is probably another reason. And this is like... When you talk to people generally who don't know real estate, I think this is one of the things that they're most afraid of. In grand scheme, I think this is actually a very low risk, like a low probability event. If you have the correct insurance, if you're actually doing the things that you're supposed to, you're going to get sued at some point. But the chances of it probably suing suing you into oblivion, probably low. Yeah. But not th- zero. I think it's uh, this is especially important for people that are going to take on that management uh, body of work themselves and, and not have a third party do it. Obviously, we're big fans of, of doing that in-house because it helps keep the cost down. It makes more money for our investors and helps us control that that resident experience uh, for residents, which is you know, what really drives everything. But with that comes a, a big liability, right? You can't just go in there and start willy-nilly signing leases, doing things, because um, there's every every area around the country is going to be a little bit different on what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what you need to document. And if you don't get all your ducks in a row... It's inevitable, like Anthony said, you are going to get sued at some point. Uh, but if you don't have your proper documentation and if you've been doing things incorrectly, you're not going to have a leg to stand on. And even though getting a you know a lawsuit is is not entirely, I wouldn't say it's unlikely, but given enough deals, given enough properties, at some point someone's going to sue you. Yeah. And you don't want that to be your undoing. And if you don't have your stuff documented and you don't have your duck your ducks in a row, it could be a, a major hit to you. Uh, but if you do all those things, it you'll be good. So just make sure you or someone on your team knows what the hell they're supposed to be doing so you do it the right way. Yep. If you don't, you're screwed. My number two, no particular order, is uh, insufficient capital. And hopefully this isn't one of yours. I feel like it's an op- obvious one. But insufficient reserves, infinite, I- insufficient uh, capex uh, uh, budget, from when you were doing your underwriting, like there's a lot of people that I feel like get into deals 
and keep the capital needed to get into the deal as small as possible to maximize those returns for their investors on paper, right? Because the amount of money that a deal produces is going to be fairly fixed. And the, the, the more you can minimize the amount of capital needed to get in the deal, the more you're going to see your cash on cash increase, your IRR, all the return metrics go up when the denominator goes down. So it could be tempting to say, how little capital can I get into this deal with to make it work? And you could make great money doing that, but the risk profile gets much bigger. And you want to make sure that you have sufficient capital. So we would much rather, and this is you know, core to our philosophy, much rather come in very heavily capitalized deals and say, okay, our IRR is going to be you know, 17% on this instead of 20, where it could have been if we had come in with less capital. But at least we know no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. We're not going to run out of money. Yeah, this was actually another one on my list. I, I was going to skip over it, though, because it, it ties into cash flow. Like, if you don't have enough cash flow, you better have enough reserves, right? And if you're skimping on both of those, well, you're, you're screwed. You're screwed. Like, there's no salvaging a deal that has low cash flow and insufficient reserves. You're, you're done. You're done. That's gambling. Yeah. You're done before you even got started, so don't do that. Um, but I do have a third one here, um, which is that your debt runs out. Damn it. Right. Yeah. This is it's, it's a huge one, right? Like you paired the wrong debt with the wrong deal. Your debt ran due at the wrong moment in the cycle and you're not getting the, the numbers that you need on a, on a refinance. Maybe nobody's giving it, or maybe they're giving it at a evaluation that you just can't justify. Um, whatever reason the bank's coming and saying like loans due, and you're caught with your pants down. Now this, this happened a lot in 2007, 2008. This is the, the impetus for the financial crisis in the single family market where suddenly a lot of houses were underwater in terms of the valuation. The banks came back and said, hey, we need you to make this whole because you're, you're in you know, technical default here. And a lot of people lost their homes, not even realizing that that was a thing that could ever happen. So it's not even that the term runs up, right? It's just that some covenants were, were violated, were breached inside the, the, the loan docs. And, and the thing that always troubles me with banks is that those docs are pretty uh, bank friendly and pretty dense. And so there's, there's probably some hidden language in there about loopholes and things where the bank, if they really at the 11th hour need to bone somebody, they can bone somebody. Yeah. Keep it on those covenants and just have your lawyer look at them. Cause that's a, that, that's a, a, a noteworthy one because mm -hmm. sometimes there could be some stuff in there. And, and my number three was the, the same damn thing, limited yeah. debt ah. terms. But I was going to take a little bit different plan and say, you know, short debt terms are just like restricted debt terms, but I'm just going to skip that because Anthony already did it. And I'm going to change my number three to overly optimistic assumptions about the future. I've seen a lot of deals out there where people have these really, really rosy assumptions about what their rent growth is going to be or what their expenses are going to be. And, you know, seemingly they, they think they're going to take something and just operate it infinitely better than whoever was operating it before, which, you know, that could be possible assuming they've got the track record, but sometimes you see some pretty new groups uh, who are apparently able to operate things Amazing. Amazingly. Amazingly. So I would just because there's a mom and pop operator doesn't mean that they weren't operating the thing as well as the thing could be operated. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. And I mean, you just got to look at, at everything and take everything with a grain of salt when you're looking at a deal that's presented to you. If someone's saying they're going to get X percent rent growth or they're going to say they're going to decrease expenses X amount, you got to ask why and make sure that that makes sense. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It's really easy to plug that's in. Right. Uh, <laughs> I know I, I, I get a little verklempt talking about this. It's it's very upsetting to me, but uh, you just got to. It's really easy to plug in 
a number in a spreadsheet and say, I'm going to raise rents X percent this year. Boom. IRR looks amazing. Like, is that really possible? Can you really do it? Maybe. Really? Maybe not. Really? 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 Come just on. Just sit there and like, really? 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 Yeah. That's how we underwrite. We, gonna just, be... we just sit and look at each other and go, really? That's, <laughs> really? A, that's really? a solid strategy right there. <laughs> Ask that question. You'll be, you'll be in good shape. Really? Really? Okay. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to annoy our listeners. Uh, if they are not already. They're they might already have gone. tuned out. Like they, We went deep for a while um, before we even got to real estate talk. So they, they're like... Yeah, I'm out of here. But if you did sit around, you did listen, that's really cool. Thank you for that. That's neat. Um, appreciate you. Swell. Swell. You're the bee's knees. I like you. Um, I don't have a book recommendation this week. I do have a book that I'm uh, excited to read that was recommended to me by somebody that I hold in high regard. The book is called Wooden on Leadership. I'm sorry, what was that? Wooden Can on you Leadership. Can that? Wooden with a W, an O-O-D-E-N. Wooden, the the famous fao, uh, fabled, Wooden? yeah, Wooden. He's um you said it strange. He, he's like a famous basketball coach. Wooden. Oh, sports. Okay, sports. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't get this. That's why? But he's a famous sports coach of a of a game with a ball where they put in the ball in the hoop. And um, I heard the book's really good. I've heard it referenced many times by many many people over the years. So it's sitting on my shelf at home. I'm excited to dive into it here pretty soon. So I, I mentioned this because. If you're listening to this at home and you want to do like a little mini book club, we could do a little mini book club together. So shoot me an email and be like, I want to read this book together at the same time. And then what we can do is we can get together maybe every two weeks uh, on a quick call. We can get a group together and we can do ourselves a little book club. Shoot me an email. Anthony at InvictusMultifamily.com. I don't imagine there'll be too many takers, but if there are. So far, every attempt at creating a book club has uh, failed miserably. So we would love it if somebody would please participate we're desperate. Yeah, we make it like literally two book club sessions. And then by book Maybe club session us. two, everybody else is like, oh, yeah, I didn't get to read this. Do, I didn't get to reading. I'm like, we, what? Do we, do we get weird at book clubs? Like, what? Is it us? Do we get weird, period? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But really? Maybe it is us. <laughs> yeah, it's us. Ah, it's 100% right. us. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's going to do it for us, guys. If you want to be in the book club, shoot me an email and we'll, we'll get together. We'll do that. We'll have a, we'll have a hoop. It'll be a fun time. Um, <laughs> this is why no one shows up. Hoot, the hoot. <laughs> no one wants that. That's neat. Um, <laughs> love you guys. Appreciate you. If you get a chance, go leave a review. Also, subscribe and uh, share it with a friend. And you can go now. We'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.